Good morning, church. Um, there's a scripture that I wanted to read just kind of, I feel like, explains uh, how I feel, maybe how some of you might feel. This is from uh, 1 Thessalonians verse 2, 17 through 20. It says, But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And so, Paul is communicating to uh, the church that he planted that he longs to see them face to face and that there were some circumstances that were beyond his control that pulled him away from his church. Um, the, 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 the situation there was that they were, there was some sudden persecution and uh, Paul and his, his, uh, his folk had to, had to flee. But right now, uh, we have some uh, circumstances that are beyond our present control that are uh, making it difficult for us to gather together. And, you know, Paul's still communicating with, him, with them via the means he had, right? So he was writing letters. That's what most of the New Testament is, is, is written letters to churches that um, they had a relationship with, but they weren't able to be with at that time. And so in the same and, and similar way, I think about, um, you know, the Facebook Live and calls, texts, Marco Polos, uh, video chats, all of those different means to try to stay connected with each other are great, but they do not replace being with each other person to person. And so um, every week when I come in here to, to preach a sermon, and um, I mean, you can't see it, but I just see a, a rows of empty chairs. Uh, it, it, it makes me, me sad because I'm like, man, I wish I, wish I could be uh, with, with my church. So I miss you guys, and we're going to continue to try to stay as connected as we can, and we'll uh, long for the day when we can meet all together. Um, I will be giving an announcement later this week, um, not with an extensive plan, but with thoughts that we're considering. Uh, I have been counseling, uh, not counseling, seeking counsel from other pastors. Uh, I was on a call uh, with a bunch of pastors and the governor uh, this week, uh, as he was given instruction, we spoke to medical professionals. So be praying for uh, me, be praying for our leadership as we think about how can we meet together as quickly as possible while at the same time as safely as possible. And so I will be making a video kind of uh, laying out what our thoughts are now. They're always going to be uh, subject to change because the situation seems uh, subject to change. But be praying for us as we think through and pray for that. Okay, so this day we are going to continue in the book of John. We are going to be in John chapter 8, verses 31, and we're going to read a chunk of the, the text right there. Um, I don't always name my sermons beforehand because I'm like, I'm just going to preach and then I'll think about it. But I, I named this one beforehand, and uh, I kind of like it. Uh, it's called Jesus, the Great Emancipator. 
Jesus, the great emancipator. Now, an emancipator is someone who frees slaves. It's someone who, who relieves oppression. It's someone who, who sees the plight of a group of people and does hard work in order to bring freedom to that group of people. And Jesus is that for the church. Now, the scripture is covered with the teaching that God brings his people deliverance and freedom. Now, here's, here's this interesting uh, concept. Um, when we think about captivity or slavery, there is this unique uh, uh, psychological issue that could happen. And it's called the Stock, Stockholm Syndrome. The Stockholm Syndrome. And the, the Stockholm Syndrome is feelings of trust or affection in many cases of kidnapping or hostage-taking by a victim towards a captor. So if somebody is in an oppressive situation, whether it be slavery, whether it be abuse, all these different things, there is a, a syndrome that can develop where the one who is being oppressed develops feelings of affection and loyalty to the one that is oppressing them. <clears throat> in other words, people have the capacity to have loyalty to the person and or entity that enslaves them. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, we will see that Jesus addresses what happens when we love the things that would oppress and enslave us. So John 8, verse 31, let's jump in it. And it reads, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answer him, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so excited about your word this morning. Father, I pray that, that you will let your word penetrate deep in our hearts, that it will produce change, it will produce freedom, and that we would rejoice in what you have purchased for us on the cross. So by the Spirit, give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first thing that, that we can see from the text is that freedom comes from listening to Jesus. Verse 31 says this, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what he's saying is that God's word brings freedom. Now the first thing we need to understand is, Christian or not, the human condition is a desire for freedom. That is the human condition. And beloved, this is actually the angst or the frustration of our current cultural crisis. Listen, on the right, people are saying we want freedom from tyranny. On the left, people are saying we want freedom from oppressive social structures. 
Now, here's the interesting thing. The longing for freedom is a basic human instinct, even if it looks different for different people. So whatever the issue may be, people are longing for some freedom and some autonomy from what they view as something that is oppressive. Now, now the reason that is, is that we can just think of the benefits of freedom as compared to slavery. Like, think about freedom. Uh, the freedom is, 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 when you get freedom, it's a sense of joy. Um, about, uh, about a decade ago, um, there was uh, uh, an event called the Arab Spring. And what happened is that in a bunch of, uh, of countries in the Middle East, they had uh, revolutions at the same time. They had people who desired freedom. And when they overthrew their respective dictators or presidents, you could see just celebration in the streets because the people were saying, well, this person, this entity, this government was oppressing me. Now we have gone, gotten past that. We have experienced freedom and we can celebrate with joy. And freedom brings joy. Not only that, freedom brings hope. Oppression makes it hard to think clearly about the future. You know, if you are able to love and serve those who have been in oppressive or victimizing situations, uh, something happens. It's called the tyranny of the urgent, meaning that life is so difficult right now. All I can think about is today, maybe tomorrow, but mostly today. That is, that is a result of victimization, of oppression, and of slavery. But beloved, when we get freedom, we don't only have joy today, but we have hope for the future. And so these feeling, this feeling of joy and hope that is produced by freedom that we all long for, if we want this, Jesus says, we ought to continue in God's word. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to continue in God's word? What it means is that we would continue in belief and in faith concerning God's word. This is how, this is how Jesus lived. There is this, this uh, story where Jesus is being tempted by the devil. Jesus overcame the oppressive temptation of Satan by clinging to the word. Matthew 4, 4 says, he answered, this is Jesus talking to Satan, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So in the moment where Satan tempted him and said, hey, man, if you're really the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Jesus knew that to cling to freedom, the clinging to freedom that God wants, you cling to God's word. Jesus is quoting a verse from Deuteronomy there. So Jesus is saying, if we want freedom, if we want hope, if we want joy that comes from freedom and the liberty that God brings, we would cling to God's word. Now, the issue that we see in this passage is that many do not see themselves as in need of freedom. Look at verse 33. It says, we are descendants of Abraham, they answer him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will be free? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. 
I mean, there's a couple of things going on in this passage. The first thing is they said, we are descendants of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. That is just straight up a lie. <laughs> I don't know why they lie like that. Like, first of all, there's a whole book dedicated to when Abraham's descendants were enslaved. It's called the Exodus, right? They were enslaved to Egypt. And even then, in the current time, in Jesus' day, Israel was under the oppression of the Roman Empire. So they, were, they, like, even, they, they couldn't even see reality when Jesus confronted them about their lack of freedom, they couldn't even look of what was obvious and say, well, Jesus is right. But Jesus was actually getting to something underneath that. Slavery is something that compels you to do something that you don't want to do. It's compelling you to do something that you don't want to do. And Jesus says, sin is this slavery. So temptation, when, when I am presented with this desire that wants me to do something in which I know is wrong, Jesus is saying that is slavery. See, temptation allures us into doing things that we do not want to do if our minds were clear. The reason you know this is because if you have been tempted and then you have given in the temptation, and then when you review what you just did, you go, why in the world did I just do that? That in that moment, the temptation of sin overcame you and enslaved you to do something that you would not want to do if you had a clear mind. And not only that, after sin is committed, we have these two slave masters called guilt and shame in which we cannot often escape. Guilt is an inward feeling that I have sinned. So some of us, some of us are, are, we have this inward feeling of guilt because of the things that we have done. And it's like this, this whisper in the ear that doesn't leave you. You are guilty. You're not worth anything. You shouldn't have done that. Why did you do that? Shame is the fear about what others would think about our sin. So we see that in our propensity to hide our wrongdoings because a slave master of shame wants to expose us. So this, this is reality, that we are tempted to do things that in the moment it seems like a good idea, but when we look back, we're like, why in the world do we, would we do that? that? That is slavery. And then after we sin, we are overcome with guilt and shame that nags and nags and nags and disturbs our conscience. Now here's a crazy thing about Slavery to sin. It reminds me of Stockholm Syndrome. This idea that we often could fall in love with our captors. Even though sin is slavery, we oftentimes find ourselves in love with the very thing that we do not want to do. This is the predicament that we find ourselves in. And it is not only uh, bad in that, there is another layer of destruction in it. Jesus explains that that cooperation with our slave master sin is also aligning with the devil himself. Verse 41, it says, you are doing what your father does. They said, we weren't born of sexual immorality. They said, we have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I come from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? 
because you cannot listen to my word. Listen to this. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So the first thing that's going on here is when, pe- when we are confronted with our state, when we're confronted with our slavery and sin, um, we don't like that. We kind of have a pushback. And what happens when he says, we, they say we weren't born of sexual immorality, I want you all to un- understand that they were trying to play Jesus, right? Jesus says, uh, yo, uh, I was born from my mom, and my mom didn't have uh, relations with a man, so there's a virgin birth. And so Jesus starts speaking truth, and they're like, Jesus, you ain't got no daddy for real. Your mama was sexually immoral. That's, that's what they're trying to do there. People don't like the truth being exposed. When the truth is exposed and you find yourself in opposition to the truth, you lash out. Then he goes on to explain that the, the, predent, the propensity towards sin actually replicates the nature of Satan. Jesus says two things about Satan. He says that he is a murderer and he, he was a murderer from the beginning and, and that he is a liar. In the same way sin produces murder. How many relationships have been murdered because of sin? How much, uh, how much violence has been unleashed in this world because of sin? Listen, beloved, if you see strife, you can be sure that sin is involved. How many consciences have been slaughtered because of sin? Not only does sin murder, sin produces lies. In a very real sense, we are tempted to lie. Is that not true? When we want to cover up something, we go, well, let me just fudge the truth a little bit. Sin produces murder. It produces lying. And in that, it replicates Satan. So much so that Jesus can look at this crowd that is rejecting him because of sin and say, you sin in such a way that you remind me of Satan. You are so much in line with him, he might as well be your father. This is harsh, y'all, because, beloved, if we were in the crowd... I'm not so sure we would be standing with Jesus. We might be in the crowd. But then he says, listening to Jesus, listening to him, is aligning ourselves with God the Father. Verse 47 says, the one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Listening to Jesus demonstrates that that you have a a different nature, that there is something that is new about you. It's almost like if you don't submit to God's words, like if you don't submit to God, Jesus' words are spoken to you in like a different language. If my heart is not submissive to God and I hear God's word spoken to me, it is like I am hearing a language to which I do not understand. Listen, many languages sound beautiful to me. Like when I hear somebody speaking Italian, I'm like, man, that sounds really nice. 
but I don't speak Italian, so it don't really benefit me. We need to be careful that we could hear God's word. We could say, oh, that sounds nice. But if we have not been renewed by Jesus, those words will not benefit us. Jesus is communicating that this grace to understand God's word is available to you. That Jesus enables us to understand the words that come from God so that they not only sound nice, but that I would understand them. Beloved, if if you find yourself stuck in sin, struggling to adhere to God's word, we would say, Jesus, help me understand. And beloved, when we ask Jesus to help us understand God's word, he does not say no. Jesus enables us to understand God's word. He is our spiritual Rosetta Stone, if you will. When we hear God's word, we might not be able to understand it, but then Jesus comes as a translator to God's word and helps us both understand, appreciate, and apply. Not only do we trust Jesus and run to Jesus because he helps us understand God's word, we trust Jesus because he is both eternal and divine. In verse 56, they're having this conversation, this argument. Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. What he is indicating that Abraham, along with all of God's people in the Old Testament, were looking forward to freedom. The Old Testament is a record of the destructiveness of sin and the shame of sin. We struggle with the Old Testament a lot because when we begin to read it, we see some stories that are jacked way up. That that sin is on display. We need to understand that the stories of the Old Testament are not always there so so we can say, oh, that's really cool. We should uh, try to do that. They're not always there so that we can understand exactly God's nature. Sometimes they're there so that we can understand ourselves. This horrible example of slavery to sin is evident throughout the text. And Abraham, along with all the people, were longing for today when they would have freedom. Now they replied to them, the Jews replied to them in verse 57, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you were a Jew at the time, you would hear him saying something that is almost crazy. When Moses was uh, was approached by God and called by God, Moses said, hey, I'm about to go uh, be your prophet. I don't know your name. What's your name? And God said, I am that I am. That's where we get that word Yahweh. So when Jesus is saying I know Abraham. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, even though I, in the flesh I am young. Truly before Abraham was, I am. Truly before Abraham was, my deity existed. I am God in the flesh, so Abraham's God is me. Jesus is the one who brought redemption and freedom to Israel, and he is the one in the Old Testament who is promising redemption and freedom to us. And beloved, Jesus brings freedom through his death and resurrection. 
I want you to, I want you to understand something. When I, I see this topic of slavery that Jesus is, is bringing up and how he is the emancipator or the one who freed the slaves, I can't help thinking about slave rebellions. Now, you need to understand something. Now, now I'm black, okay? From the African-American perspective, when we look at history, we see the hundreds of years of slavery. One of the things that we look back to is this idea of slave rebellion. Let me tell you why this is important. If you were enslaved, imagine if you were a slave. I'm sure you would ask the question, does anybody care about me? You would ask the question, does anybody care that I'm enslaved? You would ask the question, is somebody going to do something about this? There was a movie that came out a couple of years ago. It was about Nat Turner. It was about a slave rebellion, and, and it, was a, it was a big deal for some in the African-American community. The reason being is because when you think about slavery, you think there is a longing for freedom. There also is this desire, will somebody set me free? And these slave rebellions were these attempts to set people free. Now, here's the deal. Jesus saw us in our sin. The most interesting thing about this is that Jesus was not one of us. Jesus was not one who was enslaved to sin. But Jesus looked down and saw us. And because he loves us, because he wanted to defend us, he actually became like us. Jesus came down and took on flesh. He understood personally what it was like to live in an oppressive world. He himself was tempted by sin, yet he overcame. And he became one of us, and he stood up to the oppressor of sin. And beloved, in his fight with sin, in his identification with us, he was put on a cross. The fact that he was put on the cross was because he saw us in our enslavement to sin and said, actually, I am going to defend you. And in his fight with sin, in his fight with our guilt and our shame, he ends up on the cross because he is taking on our guilt and our shame and our slave master sin. And our slave master sin tried to take him out. That oppressor who is Satan tried to take him out, and he ends up on the cross. But, beloved, we know the story. Sin thought it had its, its final blow to Jesus, but three days later, Jesus got up off of the ground and said, I am the destroyer of sin, I am the defeater of Satan, and I am the freer of my people. He is the emancipator from the slavery of sin, the one who identified with us in our humanity, the one who died in our place, and the one who rose from the dead to crush both sin and Satan. This is our Jesus, the great emancipator, the one who frees us from the guilt and the shame of sin, and the one who frees us from the power of sin. So the question is, how is this applied today? 
how does the work of Jesus, when he defeated sin, death, and Satan on the cross and through his resurrection, how is this applied to us today? If you'll go back to the first verse that we read, he said, if you continue in my word, then you will be free. Beloved, if, if we are honest, sin as a slave master still is alluring to us. And this is how we can apply the emancipation that Jesus has bought for us to one another. And it is by God's word. God's word tells us at least two things about the Christian's relationship to sin. One, when temptation comes my way, when temptation is rising up within me, when temptation is, is aiming to enslave me, I need the word from my brother and my sister that says, wait a minute, don't you understand what temptation is? Don't you understand that temptation is deceptively trying to enslave you toward your death? Don't you understand that this same temptation, this same uh, sin put our Jesus on the cross? Don't you understand that your sin, if you would give in to it, would produce so much destruction? Beloved, I need God's word about sin so that I would understand the seriousness of it. I would be warned of it and I would not fall in love with the captor again. But we understand that we fall into sin. So what is the word then? If my brother and my sister, if I see uh, he or she fallen into sin, we understand that the other way that sin uh, enslaves us is through guilt and shame. Beloved, we have a word for that. When we see our brother or our sister in guilt and shame, we say, no, we have this Jesus who is our great emancipator. That guilt that you feel because of your sin, it was put on the cross on him. That shame that you feel because of your sin, it was put on, your, put on the cross on him. He defeated sin, guilt, shame. So do not let yourself be run into the ground and your conscience, conscience be torn to shreds because your sins are wrong and wicked. We say, no, that is true. Your sins are wrong and wicked. But we have a Jesus who took care of that on the cross. When someone comes to us and is feeling guilty and shame, we have this natural inclination to want to help them, and that's good. But I'm afraid we don't help them well. When someone says, yo, I've done such and such, I feel like in our desire to want to help them, we go, well, it's okay, it don't matter, it's, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it. I get, I get the goal of that, but it's not true. One of, my, one of the, the guys I've been studying lately is, is Martin Luther, and he, he talks about what do you do when you feel the weight of sin? And he imagines that Satan himself is coming to him, and he starts uh, accusing him of particular sins. And his response is, Satan, you're right. I'm, I'm more sinful than you even tried to accuse me of. But I have a Jesus who saw my sin and died for it and rose again. So your accusations, they don't enslave me. The accusation of sin reminds me, one, of the seriousness of sin, but two, of the Savior who died and rose again in our place for our sins. 
So if we want to be the free people, if we want to live in the freedom that Jesus bought, we have to be people who speak the truths of God's word to one another. Speaking truthfully about sin, how it leads to death, enslavement, frustration, murder, lies, speaking the truth about that, but also speaking the truth about what Jesus has done in response to our guilt and shame, how all of that was placed on him on the cross. He rose from the dead for our justification, for our declaration of being made right. Beloved, that is how we live in freedom. We live in freedom by being honest about sin, by avoiding it when, when it tries to entice us. We live in freedom because when we do sin, we have a Savior who took our guilt and shame. That's my hope and our prayer for the church, that we would help each other live in the light of the emancipation of the freedom that Jesus has brought and bought for us with his blood. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your mercy, for your kindness. Lord God, that you saw us in the slavery of sin and you did not only have compassion, your compassion moved you to free us from sin. Lord Jesus, would you let us live in the light of that? In Jesus' name, amen.